Hello, I'm Jim White. Welcome to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to this weekend. Coming up, Steve Coogan returns to our screens with a new satire on corporate greed. That is the colour of posh That's fuchsia. Yeah, fuchsia. Fuchsia, your brand manager is supposed to understand about interior design. You can't get more interior than fuchsia. And love him or hate him, Justin Bieber is officially back. Oh, yeah. Now for a moment, forever. No, it sounds untraditional, yeah. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. Now, on Tuesday night, we saw the Brits' 40th major show since launching in 1977. You can always count on award shows to bring in a bit of drama, and we saw plenty of it during last week's NME Awards. After some inappropriate behaviour towards comedian Catherine Ryan, rapper Slow Tie got himself into a fight with the audience. She got jealous, everybody! Smell my cologne, smell it. What Listen, is the protocol for this situation? I was just protecting my friend. What am I supposed to perform something? Shh. Baby girl, I don't want to have to do this to you right now. But everybody, she needs to understand the levels right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, if you want to do something, see me later. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Oh dear. Well, uh, joining me to share their favourite award show moments are the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner, the Daily Mail's music critic Adrian Thrills, and the Daily Mail's TV critic Claudia Connell. Um, Adrian, um, is it always like that at uh, music awards? What, what's your favourite mishap? Well, I guess, you know, we kind of put our hands up in shock and horror every time there's some bad behaviour at one of those awards ceremonies. But but they're the things we remember about them, really. When they're really dull, we complain that there's been no bad behaviour. And, you know, slow tie... You know, he, he's not the first and certainly won't be the last. Um, I think his, his behaviour, one of his heroes is Liam Gallagher. And I think Liam is uh, notorious for uh, for kind of being at the centre of incidents at, uh, at awards ceremonies. I think he, in fact, threw his microphone into the um, audience at a Brit's um, a couple of years ago. And I think there was a there was a Brit Awards where Robbie Williams offered to stage a fight. I think... Uh, Put a hundred thousand pounds of your money against a hundred thousand of mine, and we'll uh, we'll kind of sort it out in a ring. And I think Mel C of the Spice Girls famously actually called out Liam as well. Said, "Come and have a go if you think you're hard <laughs> enough." At the Brits in the mid nineties. Claudia, these are TV moments, aren't they? I mean, is that what we're looking for? Really, we're all hoping for a bit of drama, a bit of excitement, and a scrap. I think so, because they go on so long, these award shows. They're always at least two hours long. I mean, you, you get the odd performance, but other than that, it's people coming on, presenting an award, and boring acceptance speeches. So, yeah, it livens things up. Um, Brian, uh, the, the Brits started, you know, really cutting-edge excitement. Michael Aspel was the first ever presenter, and the right? first Brit was awarded to Cliff Richard. Oh, is that right? So cutting-edge stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But have, have awards got a little bit bland and corporate over the years, should we be having more slow tie moments? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the Oscars that everybody remembers in recent years, of course, was the uh, the terrible Moonlight La La Land mix-up, which was just fantastically awkward television. You know, it was incredibly... Oh, it was just wonderful to watch, wasn't it? Uh, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is... 
This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Faye Dunaway and, and Warren Beatty standing there not knowing what was going on and people in the audience getting up and sitting down and oh, it was just fantastic. So yeah, we could do with more of that for sure. Uh, Claudia, do, do we really need award shows? Do, aren't we getting you know, to a point where they've just become a marketing exercise for, for the various uh, genres? And yeah, it is, it, is all about, it is all about marketing and sales. If you think you know, artists that have appeared at the Brits will see a huge bounce in, the, in their record sales. I mean, pretty much everyone that I know has been to see Parasite in the last week, which I'm sure they wouldn't have done if it hadn't have won Best, best Oscar. Parasite, mm. uh, an amazing Oscar. Parasite, but there yeah. was no host there. How did that happen? But the Oscars, these these are the the sort of leading light. Do they do it better than anyone else, or or are they as subject to um, the whims of the uh, of the awards givers as anywhere else? Oh, I think they are. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they do it better than anyone else. They um, they get it wrong. Well, they get it so badly wrong. I've already talked about the Moonlight La La Land. Things big mix ups can happen, and the fact that there's no host, that's only because because, you know, nobody is deemed kind of good enough or safe enough to, to host the Oscars. So, and this point of, you know, should we have award shows? And is it, I mean, I suppose ultimately, is it for the industry? Is it to, for self-aggrandizement and, and uh, just to make themselves richer? Or is it for the audience? And you've just talked about Parasite. And I suppose it's a good example, actually, because, you know, you, you've said loads of people have been to yeah. see it on the back of the Oscar. And those are people who wouldn't have seen it otherwise and yeah. that's a good thing because it's yeah. a great film so um you know i so there's a, there's certainly an argument for them but so many of them you know yeah. as you say back to back going on and on you know the golden globes and the <laughs> BAFTAs and the Oscars and then the you know everything. oh and, and of course much. there wouldn't be an award ceremony without the opportunity to jump aboard a soapbox as uh, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix proved um, this year at the Oscars yeah. we go into the natural world and we plunder it for its resources we feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow and when she gives birth we steal her baby even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable and then we take her milk that's intended for a calf and we put it in our coffee and our cereal. Thanks, Wacky. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. he's not, he doesn't sound like a bunch of fun, does it? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want him at a dinner party, would you? Oh, heavens above. I think the key to them is really just, you know, whatever point you want to make, just keep it punchy, keep it short. And, uh, and you know, people are there to be entertained and they want to just, in a way, get on with the show. I mean, one uh, of the things about the TV uh, awards is that they're actually voted for by the public. Does that yeah, make the, it a better NTAs thing? Yeah, the NTAs are voted for by but see, people people complain that you have the big awards like the Oscars and the Grammys and where they're voted for by a panel, and then you have the NTAs that are voted by the public. But then things like Mrs. Brown's Boys win, which upsets people as well. Oh, of course, so, yeah, yes. Mrs. Brown's Boys yes. that calls right that controls. Sort of beat, How know, on earth the British public like? Yes, uh, yeah. And it always helps if the presenter of an award doesn't disagree with who has won it, unlike Kanye West at the 2009 VMA Awards. No, Taylor. I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. Agent poor old Taylor Swift thought she'd won, but not apparently, according to Kanye. Well, yeah, she did win, fair and square. She was voted the winner, but uh, Kanye, in his infinite wisdom, disagreed with the judge's verdict. And... Uh, 
um, insisted that a rather embarrassed-looking Beyonce, who was sitting, um, you know, sort of a few rows back, um, w- was more deserving. And uh, I, I really felt, I really felt for Taylor in that instance because I think she looked visibly upset. And I think, in a way, it coloured her her attitude to her career a little bit in the coming years and there was a long long running feud with with Kanye and Kim Kardashian that I guess its roots would would have gone back to that incident but uh, you've got to really accept the uh, the judge's verdict in these instances and they say awards don't matter Mm. fantastic (laughs) caused an entire feud My guest this week is Chris Packham, the naturalist, television presenter, writer, photographer, conservationist, campaigner and filmmaker, to name but a few of his skills. He's best known perhaps as a presenter of BBC's BAFTA award-winning Spring Watch, Autumn Watch and Winter Watch series. Chris, where, where are you talking from? I always imagine you as sort of in a, in a hide somewhere, um, <laughs> hiding out. <laughs> I am hiding out, but I'm hiding out from inclement weather in in an old 17th century barn, which sits adjacent to my property. Now, don't think anything majestic. It really is crumbled down, um, full of woodworm, thankfully still standing at the moment. But uh, I use it as an outdoor storage space and frequently peep out of the back of it across the field, spying on any birds that might pass. At the moment, I'm looking at a missile thrush and a carrion crow. Wow, fantastic. And when, when you go out on, on Spring Watch, are you there for hours kind of peering at stuff or do you just sort of pop in and out? How does it work? <laughs> Well, as Churchill said, uh, time spent on reconnaissance is seldom wasted, and, and, and we do a lot of preparation and research. If we were going badger watching, we wouldn't go at midday. We know they're nocturnal. We know they live in sets. We go to the set. So we naturalists do everything we can to minimise our lack of being able to direct our, our cast when we're making spring watch. You know, we, we, we go to exactly the right place. We take good advice from others. There's always someone who knows a little bit more than you do about anything, and our greatest skill as naturalist is being able to find that person and take their advice and and very often it's good local advice that we're after you know i I know badgers quite well i study them for some time but if there's a particular set then the emergence times will be peculiar to that set and if there's someone watching it then we want to speak to them because that minimizes our our time spent waiting so there's a lot of preparation done Uh, one of the things i've i've been intrigued about you chris i heard um a radio series you did uh, for uh, six music about your fondness for music that i think probably can best be described as loud would that be fair um you love a bit of punk and so on and and i i can't quite tally that with your love of the quiet of nature how do those two things reconcile in in, in your mind well, nature isn't always quiet. Um, you know, nightingales are, are are basically like a clash concert in the bushes. <laughs> I mean, they are pumping it out, at, you know, in excess of ninety decibels. The male nightingale calling the females down from the sky when they're migrating over in early May. So nature can be quite loud. Loudest of all is the, the sperm whale, which is producing you know its calls across the ocean at two hundred and twenty decibels. Ooh, and when you what think does that, that tally with? Who who would play well, at two twenty okay, so, decibels? Well, no, no one. We'd all be, we'd have our ears destroyed instantaneously. So basically, the loudest ever pop concerts, you know, rock concerts, went out about 110. And, and above that, you're looking Whoa. at all damage for us, basically. So, um, but no, nature can be loud. It's a time thing. Isn't it? I mean, I, I, I was a teenager in the mid 70s. It was 
a pretty grim time, to be quite honest, from my perspective. Um, and and punk rock came along and and gave me a, a, a tremendous amount of energy and spirit. I mean, I think for me, it, perhaps more than the music, the attitude was important. It was that do it yourself, never take no for an answer, um, but just get up and get on with it, sort of thing. And that's always tallied with my approach to life, really. But I do still listen to the music. Nothing beats a bit of Clash or Ramones. I've got to tell you. Uh, do you still play? Uh, Chris, are you still in a band? No, a man's got to know his limitations. One of the best bits of philosophical advice I ever received via Clint Eastwood. Um, I was, I wasn't, I did play in a band, but I played badly. I wrote the songs and, and I, I, I kind of helped them along, but they were far better musicians than I. So I put the guitar down and I picked up a camera and started photographing wildlife instead. Now, of your, a man, man of multi skills, multi talents, one of the other things you did was you won must. That sounds like you've got some nature going on in the background there. I've got two black poodles here, of course. I'm always I'm always accompanied by two black poodles. Have been for most of my life, um, and they're they're just waiting for their for their walk. Um, they're nine months old, full of fun at the moment, and so they're herring around the garden, demonstrating their impatience. <laughs> yeah. So you you won Celebrity Mastermind with the Battle of Rourke's Drift. Now, where did that come from? An interest in the Boer War. Well, my father is a very keen military historian, and I've grown up alongside that interest. So when I was a kid, there wasn't a battlefield or a museum, a, a regimental museum that I wasn't taken to. There's not much that I didn't know at one time about the Supermarine Spitfire. I mean, I can tell you when it first took off and who piloted it and what colour it was. I mean, these were sort of mandatory things to know, um, in, you know, at, at the Sunday tea time to satisfy my father. So I've kept up that interest, and, and I have a, quite a keen interest in history not just military history, but at the time that mastermind was taking place, I'd been reading you know, extensively about the Zulu Wars, and when they said, what's your specialist subject, I sort of thought, well, walk drift, <laughs> that's what I'm into at the moment, so why not that? And, you know, my historical interest sort of jumps from one thing to another. I've just read a, a fabulous book about the history of the Comanche uh, tribe in North America. That was uh, uh, really, really good. Um, I'm on to Agincourt again now because... I quite like Agincourt. I've always been interested in that battle and that period of our history. So it, it flits around, and I, I, I don't profess any expertise in history, just a little in natural history. Now, you've done a lot of work in conservation charities. You're constantly uh, working with those charities. Just, just give me an idea. What one thing could we all do now to make a difference to our natural surroundings? What, what, what part of our lives could we change easily and immediately? Well, I think that the key thing is to recognise that we can make a difference. We have to empower ourselves to do that. Um, we can lobby politicians and others to make changes. We can sit back and hope that the wildlife NGOs that we're members of will make those changes. But they're inevitably under-resourced and the politicians don't listen as fervently as they should. So we have to take it into our own hands. It's that old punk rock ethos. And if we're fortunate enough to have a garden, then you can be, or any any space, then you can be the um, you know the, the manager of that back garden nature reserve so give a little space and time for wildlife and when you think that all of the gardens that we have in the UK add up to an area the size of Suffolk that's quite a considerable resource where nature could flourish if we gave it a little bit more scope and time and it, we could all go in there and do our own spring watch I guess we can watch things in our garden if we if we just give it a bit of time 
Well, that's the greatest joy, I think, because for me, wildlife TV is a great way of instigating an interest in natural history, but it's not the way to satisfy it. You can only ever really satisfy it by, you know, making personal observations, getting up close and, and, and personal to wildlife, getting scratched, stung, slimed and, and bitten by it sometimes. You know, it's, it, those are the things that, you know, are the formative moments for young people or even sometimes old people who come to the uh, come to it with an interest later in life um, and those are the things which ignite a spark which burns for a lifetime which fuels that fascination and curiosity that keeps you getting up and going out on horrible rainy mornings like i did this morning <laughs> uh, uh, chris when are you going to pull your wellies on and, and get back in the in the spring watch hide it must be imminent isn't it well we've started talking about it and thinking about it we've made a couple of films already actually um the, the thing about spring watch is it is spring watch and as a consequence we can't do too much too soon it, we want to keep it topical but lots of planning is already uh, un- underway we're thinking about what we're going to do it's the year of the um, the cop this year obviously at the end of the year our climate convention is taking place in uh, in glasgow so we're going to be looking at a lot of um, nature from from the climate point of view this summer as well they're going to build that into our program so the flavor will change slightly um, but we, we won't be on air until end of may so although it's spring watch people always complain that actually it's summer watch but you know spring is when the birds sing and make their nest and lay their eggs that's quite dull to watch um because not much happens it's, it's a lot more activity when they've got their young so perhaps we should name it end of spring watch not the end of spring watch <laughs> but just end of spring watch uh, uh, chris talking of cop um there's still no no one going to be chairing that the government haven't come up with a chair it could be you couldn't it they asked you oh, i'd love the job i mean you know because i would approach it with an enormous amount of energy and, and determination. I think that we're in a make-or-break situation. Um, that's what the climate t- scientists are telling us. They're telling us it's now or never. And I would like to see significant investment from our government into making sure that we get some resolutions and some real action off the back of this uh, this meeting. And we know that the one that was perhaps the most successful, the, uh, the one in Paris, um, they invested you know, a lot of time and effort in advance, huge numbers of staff, qualified scientists working on that in advance so i think to, to use one of my father's expressions we we do need to get our finger out pretty quickly and make sure that this this event produces some meaningful results we're all desperately in need of that uh, boris johnson you know who to call uh, chris packham thanks so much for joining us pleasure thank you Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where our critics unleash their inner Tyson fury and hit the week's new releases precisely where they hurt. Uh, First up, the Daily Mail's film critic, uh, Brian Viner. Brian, what have you been watching? Well, I've seen Greed this week, which is uh, a film with Steve Coogan playing a uh, a sort of retail fashion mogul uh, who is very rich, very charismatic, extremely unpleasant, uh, and any resemblance to Sir Philip Green is entirely deliberate, it has to be said. <laughs> uh, so, um, and he, it's it sort of, the the, uh, the film revolt, the frame of the film is the lead up to his 60th birthday party on the island of Mykonos, which he wants to make a sort of Roman themed, uh, why you would do Rome in Greece and I don't know, but anyway, and um, I, I think we will, should we ha- listen to a clip first of all? Oh, Christ on a bike, Neil. What am I going to say about this? I don't... Well, I was hoping you'd like it, but it doesn't sound like... something wrong. Subs is wrong, yeah. Um, too many clothes? 
Too few clothes, perhaps. Shall I put you out of your misery? Yeah. Please. Actually, no, I'm not going to do that. That involved me performing a very, very late abortion. <laughs> Don't laugh, Neil. This is not banter. This is me g***ing you. Can you not read people, Neil? No. Uh, yes, I can. No, no, you can't. Otherwise, you'd stop talking. That's Coogan enjoying himself. Yeah, there. Coogan has a ball. He's a, he's. So you keep seeing flashbacks. So the lead up to the to the party is is the thing, and then David Mitchell plays his biographer, who who basically this guy, Sir Richard Macready, greedy Macready, as the tabloids have have dubbed him, has hired this guy to write his his biography. And you keep going in flashback to him bullying store managers, as in that the case that we just heard. But his his reputation is has taken a hit because he's had a very embarrassing appearance in front of a parliamentary select committee. Again, as I say, resemblance to Philip Green is entirely deliberate. So star big stars are pulling out of his 60th birthday party. So we hear that Leonardo DiCaprio is no longer coming. And of course, he's furious about that. So he has to pay people. He pays Keith Richards £800,000 to come to his 60th birthday party and that sort of thing. So uh, directed by Michael Winterbottom and, and mostly written by him, and he and Coogan have have a good track record. They've done a lot of films together, and of course, the trip on TV. Uh, so it's very funny in parts. There's some great lines. It's very what you would call scattergun. You know, they they try and hit too many targets. I think there are some Syrian refugees on the beach. They try and sort of poke some fun at at, at, at that situation, and. Uh, also, he has a, a daughter who's in a sort of a TV reality show like sort of Made in Chelsea and that's going on. So, you know, instead of just narrowing in on the on this, this, this very sort of rapacious retail tycoon, it just tries to hit too many other targets. But um, but it is funny in parts. And, um, you know, I, I would I would recommend it with sort of slight hesitation. But I think I think we'll have to call it a hit. So Philip Green probably won't go and see uh, Greed, but what about the second uh, movie yeah, of the week? he probably won't. Well, actually, yeah, the, se- the, the other movie I've seen this week is, is a sort of slightly similar area, really. It is called Like a Boss, and it stars Tiffany Haddish and Rose Byrne uh, and Salma Hayek. Uh, so the first two are partners in a sort of makeup cosmetics business, which is based in Atlanta. It's doing quite well, but, not, but it's, it's in financial trouble. And Salma Hayek plays this kind of tycoon, not unlike uh, the uh, the Steve Coogan character in the in the other film I was talking about. Um, and she ta- she buys into their business. Uh, she buys forty nine percent of their business to kind of control it to, to to get the whole to get the whole shebang. She has to try and engineer the two of them falling out. It's a comedy. It is one of those kind of breezy American comedies where every line is a quip, where there's a sort of thumping pop soundtrack, uh, where you don't really believe in any of the characters. It's all very, very kind of engineered. But, you know, it is. Um, it has its moments. Like, should we just listen to a clip? We've worked our asses off. We've opened up our own store. We're winning. We're $493,000 in debt. I'm Clara Luna. I am going to invest $1.7 million on you. We would love a million dollars. But in my experience, business and friendship don't always mix. You don't have to worry. You're a pretty little head. My head is not little. It's just that my breasts are humongous. That's the level of the uh, script, is it, Brian? Yeah, uh, well, you know, there are some there are some good lines in it, but yeah, I'm afraid so. It's directed by a guy called Miguel Arteta, not to be confused with the Arsenal manager. <laughs> 
Um, so who, they're playing a four-three-three, are they? <laughs> yeah, four-three-three. Three, yeah, with uh, Haddish and Byrne in the uh, <laughs> in the holding role. But um, um, you know, they're they're, they're two very good um, comic actresses, and they're slightly wasted in this, which is a shame. Rose Byrne was in Bridesmaids, which and you know she's she has the kind of the double whammy of being extremely beautiful and also very funny and she was great in bridesmaids and i think this film is trying to be like bridesmaids a sort of sisterhood comedy that just doesn't really quite work doesn't really come off so um i think we're going to have to call it a miss I'm joined by Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. Um, Adrian, uh, this week, the sad news that Andrew Weatherall, the celebrity DJ uh, and music producer, passed away. He was a big figure for the generation who grew up with rave music, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He sprang, it's very sad news, he sprang out of the out of the acid house scene that emerged in the late 80s, but he wasn't ever really... His taste and his the music he made it was so varied that he, he was never really hide bound by by any genre and of course when he emerged you know, as a dj djs were just guys that played records and he along with terry farley and paul oakenfold they kind of really redefined the role they became remixers they they made their own music they they you know in, in weatherall's case they take these kind of fair to middling indie bands primal scream and you know the happy mondays who hadn't really cut through to the mainstream and he, he transformed their music by by kind of using some of the dynamics of dance music and kind of grafting that onto a rock beat and he was a, he was a hugely influ- influential character and it's uh, it's very sad news he never quite went on to become what they call the superstar djs i think he he charted his own course after that initial flurry of success and kind of he he, he kind of made music that uh, he kind of pleased himself rather than going for the big bucks and would you have been would you have been interested in the music that's been released this week what have you been listening to um, well, he had a very eclectic taste, but whether or not it stretches to Justin Bieber, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, the Bieber's back with his his fifth album. Um, it's called Changes. And as he explained at a playback last week when he played the track Changes, that's why the album's called Changes, because there's a song on it called Changes. He's very loved up with his, uh, his new wife, Hayley Baldwin, and it's an album of love songs. It's a little bit sluggish in places. It doesn't really grab you the way that his his previous album, Purpose, was a really, you know, for Justin, quite an edgy record. Whereas this one, it doesn't quite have the same impact. There's lots of nice electronic beats. Let that money on, baby, but she don't leave me on, no. See them he wears in the desert, look like a lake in the sand. Would you watch the sunburn now we're made forever, ever, ever, ever. You still intimidate me. Keep me up on my toes now. Better man what you made me. Made me aware of what I was missing. Been missing the way you so- give me in general are we glad he's back is it a hit or a miss I I love his I think he's got a very good voice and he has this nice soulful inflection and he can kind of sing a song kind of going along in the middle range and then he'll soar off onto this into this soft falsetto I think his singing and one or two of the collaborations the one we just heard there forever with the rapper Post Malone and a new artist called Clever I think they just I think it's it's a it's a reasonable comeback it's one of those ones where you could go either way really and which way are you going? It's it's a tough one. It's a really tough one because, in the interest of balance, I'd probably say it's a miss. But it's it, I'll probably say hit. 
Okay, and that has redefined <laughs> equivocal for us. Um, and, and what else have you been listening to? Well, uh, the next record I have uh, no such mixed feelings about. It's the, the new album by the Californian duo Best Coast, which is a, a kind of male-female duo fronted by Bethany Constantino, who's a singer-songwriter. She... She's enthralled to, A, the sounds of the 60s, the Beach Boys and the Beatles, but also that kind of punky new wave sound of Blondie and the Pretenders. And it's a really strong, powerful rock record with some great hooks. Um, I think it's also a record about um, her second chance. I think she's had, she's had various problems. I think she might have had a drink problem that she's now conquered. And insecurities and writer's block but this is an album about coming through all that um i think there's a song we're going to hear called everything has changed I like that. You can hear the influences there, can't you? Yeah, she's got a lovely rich tone to her voice that, you know, as I say, it does hark back to Blondie, The Pretenders, The Go-Go's. It's, it's a record that I think will appeal to, to young lovers of indie rock and also people who maybe listen to that music the first time around as well. So hit or miss? It's absolutely a hit. Now the last of this week's hits and misses. What's coming up on the small screen with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's TV critic. Claudia, what have you been watching? Well, on Monday, a new drama is starting on ITV called Flesh and Blood. It stars Francesca Annis and she plays Vivian, a wealthy widow who finds love again a little too soon after um, her husband dying for her children's liking. And um, they, they disapprove and it throws the family into chaos and it leads to a tragedy. And we... We have a clip for you. There's something that I want to tell you all. I have met a new friend. Dad's only been gone a year. I don't like it. I just think he's got a really strange hold over it. Getting a strange sense of deja vu here, Claudia. Weren't we talking about this plot very recently with Gold Digger? It's very, very similar to Gold Digger. Yes, it's the, yeah. Um, Stephen, there's a great cast in this. Stephen Ray plays her new love interest, a doctor. He claims to be a doctor and he comes into her life. Um, he's on a dating site. He had been on a dating site for widows and he seems very, very keen to whisk her down the aisle and the, and the family doubt his credentials. So it's very similar from that point of view. And also, this this widow lives in an, a fabulous house just like the gold digger widow did as well so another another yeah she, although gold digger was a divorcee so oh yeah. right that's yes. the subtle difference yes. divorcee yeah. and widow yeah um, great cast but yes. d- does it work is, is it a hit or a miss for I, you well i really enjoyed the opening episode it opens with a body on a beach and you don't find out who that body is in the first episode um but like you say it's a great cast imelda staunton is this and she's sort of the narrator she's telling the story she plays um vivian's no neighbour next door and she um, she spies on her and she opens her mail and she's a, a real curtain twitcher so she's great she really really um, makes this series I would say and yes I, I'm, I'm going to say that this is a hit 
Uh, and uh, what else? Uh, well, um, David Swimmer, best known as playing Ross in Friends. You've probably seen him. He has been on every chat show going the past the past week or so. And he's been plugging this new show that he's done. It's a comedy for Sky One and it's called Intelligence. And it, it starts tonight and we're going to listen to a, a scene here. An increasingly digital world, cooperation between intelligence agencies has become vital. We have Jerry Bernstein from the NSA arriving shortly. Hello? Hi, Mom. Jerry, Joseph Harris, it's so great to finally meet you. This is Chris uh, Cranfield, Director of Cybersecurity at GCHQ. No way. I was expecting a guy. I think we can learn a lot from each other, especially from me. Do you have an update on China? Did some pretty breathtaking work on that. This is just taken from Wikipedia. Right, you have that here? Uh, that's Nick Mohammed, isn't it? The uh, yes. the British comedian is yes, his sort he, of sidekick. Yes, he wrote this, yes. Yeah. And how does it work? Does it... Does it does it come together? Is it funny? It, you know what? It, it was much. It was much more funny than I, I thought it was going to be. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, David Schwimmer is a big fan of British comedy. He's he's collaborated with Simon Pegg a couple of times, and he's executive producer on this. So as we heard, he plays Jerry Bernstein, this incredibly arrogant, obnoxious American that's that's sort of parachuted into GCHQ at Cheltenham as as part of this Brit-US collaboration, and he immediately rubs everybody up the wrong way. There's a huge culture clash he's a he's a bit like an american sort of david brent he's very into <laughs> making everyone do team building exercises and sort of group hugs and things like that it's essentially the intelligence side of it is almost irrelevant it's essentially just a, a workplace comedy and there's there's characters there that we've all encountered there's the inept secretary there's the obnoxious boss there's the one and nobody's quite sure what it is that they do but worth sticking with you'd say yeah i really enjoyed it yeah so i'm going to say that this is another hit well, now you know what's worth seeing and really what isn't worth bothering Alexa with. My thanks to Brian, Adrian and Claudia. So let's find out what's on everyone's mind on the other side of the Atlantic and who better to tell us than the woman who knows, the male's own Jackie Stephen. And so, Jackie, what are they talking about on your side of the pond? There's only one big story this week. Sharon Osbourne has gone white after having red hair for 18 years. It's headline news everywhere. <laughs> Everyone's finding this incredibly exciting. So her colourist, Jack Martin, has d- done a big job. It took eight hours uh, and she's now platinum blonde. Now what Sharon doesn't realise is that when the roots start to come through, they're going to be a completely different colour from the platinum blonde. It's a really hard colour to keep up. And I know, I, I had it done and it took five hours on my head and it burns like crazy and at the end of it I just look like Myra Hindley's less attractive sister. <laughs> And, I didn't and, look like Sharon. And, and, and Sharon, I thought I thought initially when you said that, Sharon had gone honest and allowed her hair to go grey. But no, there's still there's still a bit of subterfuge going on, is there? Yes, there's a big difference between grey and platinum blonde. And uh, it's certainly not grey. But she looks fantastic. I always think she looks wonderful. And last year she had her fourth facelift. And she's been very honest about her plastic surgery. But she looks absolutely incredible. At 67, just beautiful. And she has lovely skin. Uh, she wants 
commented on my skin, actually, when I met her. She said, you have beautiful skin. And I was very, very flattered. I just love the family. And I feel sorry for Ozzy at the moment. He's going to Switzerland for treatment for his Parkinson's. He's had to cancel his US tour. uh, Because apparently there's a professor there whose speciality is getting your immune system back to top form. So wishing all the best on that. Well, they were the original uh, kind of reality TV family. I mean, is there any thought that they may be back on uh, our TV screens in that way uh, now that Ozzy is so ill? Well, there are discussions about this all the time. I suspect that money will be a big factor because I think that they pay a lot of money to them to get them back on the screen. And it was an Emmy Award winning show and it was a compulsive viewing. They were, in, certainly in America, the initial reality stars. And I think they'd be fantastic viewing at the moment. And remember, it's hit they're all getting quite sick now. I mean, Jack, poor Jack has got MS and uh, that's very difficult for him. He got divorced uh, in 2019 as well. So there's a lot of material there. I mean, without wishing to sound too mercenary, there's an awful lot of viewing potential there. So you think it might happen, but there's no actual plans? There are no plans at the moment. I know that they're approached all the time. And, of course, some of the family won't have anything to do with it. Uh, I think that Kelly is fantastic on television. She's, she's just been in a, she's done the voiceover in a Disney movie recently. And uh, I met her once. I travelled back with her on a plane, actually, uh, on, in Virgin, on Virgin. And uh, lovely, lovely girl. And she used to do Fashion Police in the States. And that's a show that's greatly missed. And she was so clever and smart on it. And, of course, she's known for changing her hair all the time. Uh, I'm not sure whether she's still purple. I think she might have just changed it at the moment. (laughs) Jackie, you really do know everybody, don't you? (laughs) Well, I I put myself about. (laughs) As it were, in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) And and Jackie, finally, what what, what are you looking forward to? What's coming up on on your side of the pond? Well, I'm looking forward to the new series of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because there's a lot of scandal going on. Two of the women allegedly had an affair. one of whom is married, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all the gossip with that. I'm gripped by Vanderpump Rules, which is a spin-off of the show, and they're all ghastly people. They're people <laughs> you would never want to meet in real life. But on TV, there's something strangely compulsive about, you know, watching people's lives fall apart. So these are the few people you don't want to meet, Jackie. You've actually avoided well, I- them. Well, I can't avoid some of them because when I'm in Beverly Hills, I always bump into Lisa Vanderpump, who's always carrying a dog with her. And I've been to a couple of her restaurants, but I would never want to bump into those kids from Vanderpump Rules. They are the grossest people on the planet. I can't bear them. I can't wait to see them on TV. Jackie, (laughs) thanks so much. And that's it from It's Friday this week. Thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. And if you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back next Friday and every week with your MailPlus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, I'm Jim White. Goodbye. Goodbye.